0: My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is produced in collaboration with Studio Pod Media. For information on our episodes, articles, and professional community, head to TechnicallySpeakingHW.com today. Let's get into the details of today's show. Timothy bartle is a product design leader that works to combat misinformation and harmful content inside Meta apps. In this episode, Timothy has some interesting advice and views around what he calls chaotic good leadership, transparency, and accountability. Join us while we discover more about how integrity manifests itself organizationally and within product at Meta. Hey, everybody, my name is Harrison Wheeler, and welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. On the other side, I have Timothy Bartle Evans, who is a senior manager and who's been in the design game for quite some time. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. How you been? How's everything going? Did you make any New Year's resolutions? Are you a New Year's resolutions sort of person?
1: Yeah, no, that's too much work. If I'm going to commit to do something. I'm just going to commit to doing it. So I'm going to go wait the new year to try to figure out when I'm going to start. And I'm a, I'm a crazy procrastinator anyway, so I might try to make a New Year's resolution don't actually start till March. But yeah, things are good, though. It's sort of this thing of coming off the holidays, going into review season, and all the things you have to sort of have those different brain switches turn on and off. And so it's a little bit of a crazy time, but it feels like that's every every week.
0: Yeah. Were you ever a resolution person, or was it just always sort of like, I'm, I'm just on my no. own? My own?
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't know. It's it's just I don't know. I've never I've never been the one to do it. Like, cause I know the maybe I've tried it a couple of times, but again, it never actually went anywhere because of just how my how my brain works. So I'm like, I just when I'm ready to start something, I just
0: start. I don't have to wait to a certain date. Yeah, well, we've gotten a little bit of of you being a, a manager. Maybe give folks a little bit more of a description about yourself, who you are, and what you do.
1: Yeah, I'm a lot of things. Let's see. So. I always start with I'm a black gay man from the south I am all things chaotic good I like setting things on fire like watching it burn and then we can rebuild it from the ground up I care about and I, I do that with systems held teams whatever I need to do to make it work so professionally I'm product design manager at Meta and I, I recently actually switched teams so at first I was supporting community within Facebook app but I actually recently made an interesting transition so now I am supporting a couple of teams within what we call Central Integrity, and so Central Integrity is basically an organization set up to figure out how do we identify and reduce harm on all of the platforms: Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger. How do we reduce harm? How do we reduce like bullying, misinformation? Elections are coming up soon for not only us but Brazil and the Philippines, and how we like supporting those people how do we reduce child harm all that stuff and so it's a it's a interesting space because it's a lot of what I I speak about externally right like how do you you know delegate the power that we have in tech and in design how do you reduce harm how do you increase equitable outcomes some I'm I'm now leading a team that has a direct hand on that for 3.5 billion people across the world which is a crazy number to think about so it also just kind of shows how much of a huge responsibility it is so, yeah, so that I speak, I'm a, my bio says I'm an international speaker, which is somewhat, it's, it's kind of true. And then It's kind of true.
0: I'm kind of famous yeah. in, in other countries. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't know if famous is the word, but I've done a couple of things. But yeah, and also that is just, you know, a lot of my work is centered on, you know, how do we support Black and Latinx people getting into design and to tech, especially. And so it usually is where my, my work is centered.
0: Yeah. So I want to, I want to, there's a lot there. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but I want to, I want to maybe move into some of the icebreakers. And one of the things that you mentioned is chaotic good. How would you define that?
1: So anyway, so it's funny, again, like I mentioned, there's, it's review season. So one of the thank yous I got from a manager that, re, that reports to me, one of the same managers that report, there was a report to me at the time um, before I switched teams, He said thank you for setting necessary fires, And I think for me, that was like, actually, like I literally took that and I made it a head, a header in my own self-review of like necessary fires. I listed out the things that I did and the impact of it. And it was important because, for me because it's like, that's legit what I do. Like I look at these things and then I'm like, okay, what do we need to do to push it? Like fix it, change it, whatever, right? And it's, it's funny because I was just, last week I was in, um, I was in South Carolina. I went back to my undergrad because they asked me to speak for this reception, on uh, this gallery reception, and I, I was reminiscing on someone who told me when I was in undergrad, which it sucked even more because it was actually a black man who said this to me. He was like, "You always say what other people don't think, or excuse me, you always say out loud what other people are thinking, and that's going to get you. That's going to keep getting you in trouble. Like you won't make it far." Operating oh, he you he said that do. to you. He said it to me, <laughs> and. I think my biggest career, like I get this from my mother. Mother's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like she's 100% Scorpio. And for me, like I kind of get that from her. I was like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I'm like, I'm going to be even, I'm going to be exactly who I am and I'm going to make it far. And so that chaotic good comes from even Knowing that I go into a room and I will speak out loud what someone is thinking, but I do it in a way that is constructive, moves the conversation forward, and really and truly brings transparency to a space where there's so much passive aggression. Is like, now let's just speak in pure terms. Let's be direct. And so, like, for me, chaotic good is that. It is the, again, It's it may feel like it's chaos. It may feel like it's, it's crazy, but it's all for good. And always, it's always leading us forward towards something, towards a better goal, a better way to operate, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, I I love how you bring in the constructive element, right? Because there can be a trend to just kind of air your grievances. And so how do you get that confidence in knowing that it's going to be constructive? Like, what are the things that you do when sort of, you know, shaking the room and shaking up things?
1: I mean, it depends. Like, I think that I've been, I don't know. Sometimes it's about like reading people and reading the room. And I think one of the best things I ever did, even though at the time, I don't know, like I was like, what am I doing? But one of the best things I did was after I graduated from undergrad, and I got fired from my first design job. I quit design completely. I went to retail. I became a store manager. And one of the things you have to be able to do when someone walks through the door is like, understand what do they need? Do you have it? If you don't have it, do you have something close to it or can you get it quickly enough? Right. And so being able to go in and do that, and especially in clothing retail where you like someone walks through the door, you have to look at them, analyze their style, and say, cool, let me show you a few things. Like, And I used to be a magician with that. That's a part of retail I used to love. And so I think that it's sort of like I learned how to read people and read the room. And sometimes I'm completely off. But I prefer to be completely off, but you know, working towards a good than just sit there in the corner and do nothing. And mind you, I'm an extreme introvert, so it makes me nervous as hell to be like to speak up and stuff many times. Like You're an extreme know introvert? I am. <laughs> and like people don't realize, like sometimes when I'm speaking, I'll keep my arms down because I'm like I'm sweating profusely. And so I'll be in meetings and I'll be like scared, shitless. But I'm like, you know what? I gotta say this. If I don't say it, I'm gonna regret not saying it or not speaking up. And so a lot of that either it comes from like me either being able to read the room or sometimes me just being like, you know what? I'm going to regret it if I don't. And I've always been a believer of it scares the shit out of you. It's probably the right thing to do. And so I'm just going to do it and we're going to see what happens. Sometimes it comes out great. Sometimes it doesn't. And I learn my lesson every time. And I think that's the other thing is I'm really big on introspection. So I'll leave out of the room and I'll be like cursing myself. I'll be like, what did you do? Why'd you do that? What you say? Was <laughs> that right? Was that wrong? And then most people don't see this, but it's like me analyzing. Like, okay, cool. I feel good about it. And sometimes I go and get feedback. Hey, was that cool? Like, did that come off the right way? So, you know, I just, I try to figure out the room, but I also just try to leverage myself and other people say, am I in the right direction? Was I completely off?
0: Right. Right. I I love the story. And when you went back to working in retail, right? Because retail, a lot of times it's a service type of job, right? And so it almost feels like you're creating this chaos as a service, right? We're doing it to improve. We're doing it Better to make it better because we know it's going to be better on the other side, right so I love I love that you know that connection there
1: yeah and I mean I think the big thing is is something that I get from my best of best friends Antonette Carrolls like she says all the time like systems are designed right like they're designed to do the thing they meant to do and they can be redesigned and so when you look at a lot of these things policies approaches processes whatever, at one point they were designed to do exactly what they're supposed to do and so like a lot of times what we do is we try to augment and change a process to say, hey, how do we tack on this thing that make it better, more efficient, more effective, whatever? And my approach is again chaotic good. Do we even need this process? Can we just set the thing on fire and do something else? Like I'm I'm really big on like if we don't need it, let's get rid of it and do something better. Like, why are we holding on to things for what legacy? We learn from it, let's pull those learnings, do the next thing. And so a lot of that comes from the you know, if you look at stuff from, it was designed to do this thing. Is it still doing that thing? And if not, then do we need it? Then you sort of start to approach it, approach different scenarios very differently.
0: Right. So let's switch to another question. What is something that you're currently obsessed with? Honestly,
1: my home renovations. I bought a house back in July and I've been... Congrats. Thank you. It's my first. And I think I went too big for the first, but hey, I was like, Mm. I'm not buying a house in the Bay or in Seattle. I'm gonna take that same money and go to Texas, where like I can get way more for way less. But through the renovations, one thing I've really thought about is like I want to create a space where, like, in the space being the whole house, really is like where it's just an expression and celebration of blackness and black art. And so, like, I've I have I think my Instagram has now been completely shifted, and even the recommendations and stuff I'm getting because they're all towards like artists, and then through that, black artists. And so, like, that's one big thing is just I have a spreadsheet and everything, and I'm just, like, collecting these different people. Some of them, well-known, their pieces are $30,000, $40,000 that I can't afford right now. There are other ones that are, like, you know, $1,500. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go ahead and buy that. I mean, it's all about, for me, is like, getting originals, because I'm like, you never know. This one person could be the next Basqua or the next, you know, whoever. And so I want to sort of have that. And then, by extension, something I've been thinking about is, like, especially in tech, like everyone is always either you're like, you like your equity or good, or you start doing things like residual income. I'm going to go and buy some properties or I'm going to go invest in this thing or that thing. Like, you know what, what is my thing? Cause I really don't care about some of that stuff. Like I, I really don't want to be a property manager. And so for me, it's like, you know, what? one day I want to open my own gallery and I want it to be just centered on blackness, black people, especially black queer folks. I might even extend it to Latinx folks as well, but like just a space of like, there are plenty of black, Galleries out in the world, but they're also not enough, and so, like I want to know how to build that. I want to be able to to create that and curate an experience off of black art. um so that's something I've been like thinking a ton about yeah
0: and and as far as the you know this is obviously the design piece, but the renovations, are you actually working on them yourselves? Or are you? kind of Absolutely hire a contractor not. kind of person. <laughs> I
1: have I hired a designer. She's amazing. Um, yeah. If anybody, she works all across the country, House of June Interiors. She's amazing. Come to find out she's she's younger than me, which was even crazy. It's like a husband and wife. <laughs> so she does the design. He does project management, but they're great. They're based out of Houston. Um, and also I was happy because they're also black designers. And so like, I'm all for hiring people. Like I'm a firm believer of if I know how to do it, I'll do my best. But when I'm out of my depth or I don't have the time, I will hire. So she's full service designer. She does the design work. She works with the contractor. All I need to do is approve money and approve like finishes and stuff. I'm good with that. I'm good at approvals. Yeah, I'm
0: in the same boat. I'll do a few things every now and then. Like this I did, but I, I ran out of patience with it. I didn't <laughs> have the tools. And I was like, I don't feel like spending money to buy the tools. I'll yep. pay for an hour of work. It's all good.
1: Yeah. So they're doing my second floor right now. So I have my plate, it's three floors. So my second floor is like my kitchen, living room and office. So that's getting done right now. My first floor is going to be like gym and entertainment center and little lounge thing, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Once the second floor is done, I actually have my office again. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down to the first floor and I'll do the demo work. Cause all I need is like, some razor blades and, you know, sledgehammers and stuff. And I watched enough HGTV, TV you know, to turn off the water before <laughs> I hit anything and stuff like that. So I'm happy to do the demo. I'll save a couple of thousand dollars doing that. But when it comes yeah. to putting things back in, I'll let the professional <laughs> take care of that part.
0: <laughs> awesome. Here's one moonshot. So you've talked about, you know, your obsession with art, opening a gallery, you've, you've moved to Texas, you've got your own place. Like, What's Tim's sort of, where do you ultimately want to be? Do you want to stay in design? Like, what does that look like? Honestly,
1: on some level, I don't know, but I'm allowing myself to, see, I assess myself in my career on like a six month rolling basis, right? Am I happy? Am I growing? Am I moving in the right direction? So on and so forth. Part of me, especially as I'm stretching up higher and, you know, working on that big D promo that a lot of CMAs should always be staring at like, is it going to happen or not? As I stare at that, like the other thing I, I really become in, like I realize more and more is like, I really enjoy. Well, most people, like you'll notice, as you get higher in design, you're less of actual design work and more of like organizing organizations, strategy, so on and so forth, right? And so you start to blend more into that PM role or that business side of things. And so I've seen some design leaders do this where they pivot from being design leader to product leader. And I always, I hate writing though That's the only like no, that's not true. I enjoy writing. I just hate writing documents that are based on work so I don't know how that how that works out, but a big thing is like, do I want to be a product leader uh because product leaders have so uh, quite honestly so much more impact sometimes like if like you have a product leader you not only do you support the business side and like the the thing is getting developed, but you're also supporting the inch team you're also creating direction for where the design design actually goes right like there's all these things, and so that, so that opportunity and sort of that upward and outward trajectory becomes a shift a little bit. And so part of me questions, hmm, don't want to do that, but I don't know. We'll see. Like right now, I think I'm just focused on making sure I build it like a healthy team, making sure that the work that I'm doing, especially in this new team, is actually impactful. I mean, we're driving things forward, and I'm really growing great people. And then beyond that, I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah. So thank you for that. And that'll take us out of our icebreakers. But this also leads into the next question that I had for you. I was like, per- this is like perfect. So you've been an art director, you've been in management, you founded multiple organizations, nonprofit wise, what attracts you to leadership roles? And then is there a certain flavor that you prefer more? Like, was there one where you really felt good and confident about? Right, Because you're mentioning kind of as you go into product, you're kind of like questioning if this is something I, I really want to keep moving down.
1: Yeah, I think first, why leadership? It's funny because I've been a manager more times in my career or longer in my career than I have been an IC or individual contributor. And that's both in design as well as just generally almost any job. Like I've been in management roles far longer. And I I think the thing that I enjoy about it most, about people leadership is, it's almost like, it's like, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I would assume it's like, almost like being a parent. You watch people grow. Sometimes you're frustrated as hell. But when you see those wins, boy, you get that glow inside. He's like, I'm like, damn, that was great. And especially when you see that, you, like, you mean like, yeah, like legit, like it's <laughs> like, and you see those light bulbs go off on people's head. Yeah. Or like you're sitting in a room and there's someone that you've supported for a while says like, you know, hey, why don't we do this? Or they like, they make this comment. You're like, damn, you would have never asked that a month ago, or two months ago, or six months ago. It's like, it's, so, it's those moments. Like, it's funny. Someone just, literally just earlier today, I woke up to a tweet where someone was like, someone who used to report to me, he posted about how like he was questioning being on, like his role on our, on my team. And then he said that I gave him sage wisdom around like, you can't really attach your growth to another your growth to someone else like the others looking at other senior designers. You have to like double down on what are you really good at and like lean forward with that. And actually and, and I remember that conversation because he had these really specific kills like skills that I was like, this is like you're going to be perfect for the team for this set of skills. And then he joined but he he saw these other very strong designers around him. It's like, well how do I be like them? And I was like, no, I didn't hire you to be like them. I hired you to be like you. And you can learn from them but you're not going to become them. And so um, it was really like, a, like it's moments like that really, that I really enjoy. And then even like, I think even now as I progress and now like I'm managing managers and managing managers of managers, it's this thing, the thing, the pull to leadership is always multiplying your leadership through others, right? Like that's the thing that I fully en- I enjoy is like, I know that everything that's positive about me can be multiplied through the people that I support. And then they'll add their special mix to it. And you always see if you're doing well in that because the like the lowest of the low quote unquote person on the totem pole should be feeling just as engaged and enjoying their job as, as much as I am at the top. And many times you'll see leaders who are super happy in a team that's miserable. And so that's the thing that kind of energizes me. I love being in that space. Like I tell people all the time, like being a designer, the hard skills are easy. Like you can learn a program in a couple of weeks, really. The hard part is the interpersonal piece. The thing I love about design leadership is you're not, des- you're no longer designing product. You're designing roadmaps. You're designing organizations. Like you're design, like you're looking at people's skill sets and saying, how do I create the best possible org based off of this spread of skill sets, levels, whatever the case may be? And I, and I think those things sort of energize me.
0: Yeah. So one of the things you touched on was as a manager is having like that multiplier effect. And so how do you evaluate it? Is it anecdotal? Is it something that's outcome? You know, I know a lot of managers. I know a lot of senior managers. It's really hard to evaluate the impact. It's outside of deliverables, right? And sometimes the deliverables can feel like a lot of those hard skills. But a lot of the times the influence is where the change happens. And so how have you sort of approached being able to convey that?
1: I mean, it's... It is a lot like it's a lot like our product work, right? You don't just go off of quantitative data. You can't just go off of qualitative data, and so you need the mixture of both to really give you a strong signal as to are you doing the right thing, are you building the right direction, are you solving people's problem, et cetera. And so I think it's the same with leadership. Like the quantitative could be, you know, every six months, every year, you have a pulse a survey that goes out and then you have like the, you know, the open form where they can fill in like their own anecdotes and, but you still have the slide and scale. And then you do have also like qualitative, which is the the feedback you get on the side or like the thank yous or like the growth you see. Cause for me, like being a good leader, isn't just that my team likes me, but are they actually growing? Did I promote someone or a set of people? If I didn't, are they, do they have a strong trajectory? Do we understand what all their trajectories are? Can we actually point to them? Like, and so I think, I think that's where it's a mix of, like people will always tell you that, thank you. But if you've created a scenario in which they are growing in the way that they want to, and that last part is really important, right? Because if someone's growing, that's one thing because I think something I learned early on as a manager is like, I'm hyper ambitious. So I always want to like promote me, move me up, right? And I had someone on my team who was so chill. He was like, look, I just want to work around cool people that I like and do interesting work. And that was his motivation. And so I had to completely change his growth map and everything, like how he even talked about growth. I had to completely change it because it was less about level. Now, mind you, he still wanted to get promoted, but it wasn't like, I want to do this thing to get promoted up. It was, I want to really enjoy this and give me opportunities to help me get promoted without me feeling like I'm having to be in the rat race. And so, yeah, like there are things like that, that um I kind of just lost my whole train of thought, but... Shit, it's all gone now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, just to kind of recap, you were talking about how you've also had directs that don't feel the need to be in the rat race and how you've had to shift how you manage that person. Yeah,
1: there you go. Thank you. Yeah, so, like, in that scenario, like, it was a very clear indicator of this is a person who had a, a specific way they wanted to grow. And so when I measure, am I being a good leader, for that person, it's very different because it's, it's going to be more qualitative. Like I feel like I'm I'm engaged in meaningful work. I feel as though like I have strong relationships. Tim has allowed me to, or has helped me build more relationships broadly. He's helped ease things like pain points that are happening within your et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, there's there's always a way to measure it, but it, it is a collection of inputs, and I think. I think I've heard someone say this to me once, or I've heard this about other things, but I, I think it's true here, which is like, you're only doing as well as your, your worst or someone who's having the worst time on your team, right? So that lowest common denominator. So if everyone is happy on your team and doing well, except this one person, then you have to question, okay, what is going on? Is it on me? Is it on them? Is it something that's external or internal? Uh, you should be able to assess that and be like, okay, cool. Maybe I can't make you happy, but I can at least support you through whatever you're going through. And it could be leaving the team. It could be whatever the case may be. And so that's
0: kind of how I look at it. Hmm. If there's one piece of advice you might give for aspiring managers, what would it be? I think the hardest thing
1: to do is figure out what is the balance between being a counselor and being a coach. Some managers care so much about their people and about, or about the person that they forget about the employee. And there's a, there's, this, there's a certain line you have to draw. And so that means that as much as you think this is a nice person or a great person or a thoughtful person, are they doing the job? If they're not doing the job, then what are you doing to support them in being like, improving, whatever the case may be? Have you done everything you've wanted to do or needed to do like within your power? Okay, cool. Does that person still need to be on your team? And I think a lot of times we try to hold on and support and like mentor and coach and all these things. Sometimes people don't realize the best thing you can do for a person sometimes is let them go. And this is relationships and especially management. Like I've there there's someone who I managed. I just joined a company, and the first words out of the my skip manager's mouth was, "This person needs to be managed out." And at first, it's like, you know what? I'm new. I'm going to give them, like, I have a different leadership style. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and try to work with them. They were gone within a month. And it was because ultimately we were having a situation where they weren't growing. Their team wasn't getting what they were needed. This person had already had a track record of being coached. And so it was like, it's best to just get them out. That said, that same person now is doing extremely well in a different company, in a different scenario, because whatever they needed, they could not get from that, like where we were. And so they went somewhere where they could. And now they've actually been promoted multiple times and they're actually on a really strong trajectory. And so I think that that's the biggest thing I can say is like, be willing to let people go because it's better for you, for the team and for that person.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Let's let's shift gears. So integrity, right? What is that? And how does it manifest itself even in an organization?
1: Yeah, that's... A really great question with 15 million different answers, probably. <laughs> I'll say this. from a. will start with product and then I'll go to organizationally. Within the product, sometimes it manifests itself in ways in which you don't see. It's the comment that was already deleted before you got there, so you don't see it. It's mm-hmm. the post that was flagged and so you don't see the content of it, well, of it unless you want to click on view sensitive content or whatever, right? Like, It's it's those are those like smaller things where it's like you you didn't even know it was happening because it was happening in background. The thing that was automatically deleted, taking it off, whatever the case may be. There are other ways in which it shows up where it's like, for example, your account status. You know, some people they may post something and it may be a colloquialism or a joke whatever the case may be, but let's say it gets flagged. Let's say, you know, now you're you're on timeout for a little bit. And so now you have to figure out, okay, well, why am I on timeout? What did I do? How do I like get out of this? Whatever the case may be. And so it's what is the experience. After that or through that process to understand how do you recover your account or whatever it is, right? And so there are different ways in which it manifests, but ultimately it's both what we're trying to do more is the visible side. Because I think that the, the team is like at least a decade old, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that org at least. And a lot of what they've tried to do is in the back end. So machine learning type things. Let's, let's, let us let's the machine learn what this this signal is and then automatically get rid of it. And that's worked to the point where, like, some prevalence things are, you know, point, like a a piece of a point of a percentage, right? Like, not something massive, but still equates to millions of people because it's billions of people using the platform. But then there are other areas where it's like, hey, we should just be more visible and showing people this is the action we're taking or what they have to do to get through it. Um, because then, like, people start to learn that they're both, they're being supported. It's a very vague hand waving, but it it becomes really complex. So it's like only so many ways I can explain it. Organizationally, Most people, unless unless you worked at Meta, you wouldn't know that there is an integrity team for every single app in almost every single specific team, give or take. And then there's a centralized integrity team that works with those different teams. And so there are people who are consistently looking at reduction of harm, misinformation, endangerment, things like that on a daily basis across all these different teams. But then there's also things where we just have a really transparent, open communication style. And so, if something's going on, you can say it out loud. Like you can be like you can push on it and say like, "Hey, this is a problem." There was actually a situation that was brought to my attention, and I I have like I elevated up. It went all up to the VP, and we ended up having to shut down like this whole section of like portion of how we do certain businesses. It's going to be very vague, but it was it was pretty public a few months back around. Like oh, like Facebook had to shut down, blah blah, blah. and a good part of it was because. The machine had looked at this person and said, Oh, this person is blank. Or, like, hey, this is problematic. We need to fix this. And the like, the reaction was almost immediately. As soon as I posted it in this one place, all of a sudden I have these two VPs and pinging me. There's someone else. There's an email thread. And then within a couple of days, like, there's a statement publicly, but there's also the internal stuff. Like, and so it happens really quickly. And I don't think people really know. People will never know that unless they actually work at the company. But I would say that. Ultimately, long story short, how it operates is off of transparency and like openness. Is like, hey, there's something going on. There's a problem. Speak up about it. Bring it to somebody's attention. There is no like, oh, ignore this. It's not a big deal. It's like, no, this is problematic. There's always somebody there who's going to be listening. Who's like, okay, cool. How do we go and fix this? How do we go and push on this? And that's something actually I really appreciate that I wasn't expecting when I joined the company.
0: Yeah. What's up everybody, it's Harrison again. I'm sure if you haven't heard by now, I just released the Technically Speaking Product Design Glossary. It's 118 need to know terms centered around the ins and out of user experience design. The best part about it is that it's a free download. Head on over to TechnicallySpeakingHW.com or our Instagram for more information. So I've got a few thoughts. On that because we're going to transition again. So I think case study after case study, you will read that in a lot of organizations, when people don't feel empowered to speak up, it can lead to sometimes very disastrous outcomes. And one of the things that you really kind of talk about quite a bit is building equitable organizations, right? And so maybe take us through how you envision that, and what does that mean in twenty twenty
1: two? It's a big question. So I would say, first and foremost, it is an ever changing, ever moving thing. I've seen, and I have friends who lead what they what we would call like equitable organizations, where you decent your power, where you like release into the person, where you like make sure that people have equal voice, on and so forth. And I've seen how their employees have used that against them like as a weapon. For example, you're holding someone accountable for doing their job. And the response back is, oh, you're saying this because I'm blank, or I don't feel safe right now, or you know, if you did this or if you start, if you decented your power this kind of way, so on and so on, right? So I think it's really tough because to create an equitable organization is also to figure out how do you make one that's safe, not only for the individuals, but for the leaders, because we have to ultimately hold the most marginalized of the marginalized accountable. And many times that can be viewed as picking on the person or the case may be. But just because you're most marginalized does not take away from the fact of you having mediocre results, right? Like it's not a push or pull. Like it can both can exist. You can both be mediocre and a black man you're just a mediocre black man just as much as you could be a mediocre white man or whatever the case may be. But I think sometimes folks look at accountability as very different than attacks, whether it's personal or professional. So I see all that because to have an equitable organization is to be able to have one in which on both sides, people can take on feedback, understanding, whatever the case may be. And they know like this is coming from a pay- place of thoughtfulness, concerns, safety, whatever the case may be. And then there's, of course, like, there's, you can talk about pay equity, you can talk about a bunch of different things, but ultimately there's a question of how are you looking at individuals and saying, okay, as an individual, how can we help that person be most successful? I don't know if people have ever done insights training, but it's like you can be red, blue, yellow, or green, each of those mean different things. And in, in most organizations, you'll find that a vast majority of the leaders lead with red which is like be brief and be gone. And it's funny because then if you say, okay, well, how do I become a leader if I lead with, let's say, Blue, which is give me the details. How do I become a VP if all of the other VPs are be brief and be gone? Like you have no way of fitting into that. Most of the time, the expectations you receive are based on you be more like them as opposed to let's make you a best version of you. And so an equitable organization is says from the beginning, we want to make you the best version of you. And then we will also use that to like understand how we make that work within the broader ecosystem so that we have those diverse voices, quote unquote, so that we have those perspectives, so we have those different work styles, which ultimately help other folks see representations of them and be able to grow effectively towards that as well. And that's just like one little piece. Like we can dig into the whole life cycle for an employee, right? From the recruiting to the onboarding to the promotion to the development to even the offboarding. So I'm ready to leave this company. How am I treated? And so all those things are like an ecosystem and each of those pieces have their own sets of criteria and needs. And I think a lot of times people forget that and they say, oh well it's just about belonging and organizational culture. Let's just do more social events. Or, well, you know, we hired more ex people and so they should be more equitable because of that. Or even, hey Everyone comes in making this exact same amount of money. That's equitable. Like those things really don't work. And I think unless people take a really nuanced view at each of the different spots of the employee lifecycle, then it's always going to be off balance. There's always going to be some issue that's untouched or un- unresolved. Yeah.
0: How does that sort of show up in your organization? Um, man, I think honestly. I would say I can I'll
1: have this because I'm, I'm still sort of forming that on the new team. Actually, well, I'll speak on it a couple of ways. One is having conversations about power. Like I had a conversation with my manager a few weeks back before Christmas because I was like, it was about design crits. I was like, hey, you got to get out of design crits. And he was taken aback at first. I was like, well, here's the thing. You're both in design crits and the team has to come to you for reviews. And so they're basically coming to crit where their work should be like messy and ugly. And they feel like they have to be buttoned up because the same person who has to sort of like approve this sort of the case may be is the same person who's in the room giving feedback. And so how do we remove some of the, like, basically take that power out um, imbalance out of the context to help the team feel better about bringing early work often. Um, so like things they're just thinking about, things they're just fathoming, right? And so sometimes conversations like that where it's like, hey, let's just remove some of the power play that we have here or let's identify it and then remove some of these things. Other times, it's like I tell people all the time I'm a bulldozer in the sense that I've, I clear your pathway and I get out of your way. Like so as a leader, as a manager, especially, I let my team like lead and own their spaces, lead and own conversations. I don't need to go and talk to a VP. You go talk to them because it's your, your work. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, I'm still going to get, I'm going to look good on it. I don't need to be a micromanager. I don't need to be in every meeting because ultimately, as long as you're doing great work and I'm coaching on doing great work, then I'm going to get the benefit of it. So I'm not going to lean in and do all this extra stuff. unless it's like you're like that
0: needing. lowest common denominator you spoke of, right? Right, exactly. And so when I think
1: about my team, like I'm constantly removing myself out of the way where I need to, but I'm also, again, chaotic good, set shit on fire when I need to. Like And so I really lean on the team to let me know, what is the team that you need from me today? And then how can I show up like that? And for them, that's very different ways. But ultimately, hopefully the equitable outcome is everyone feels good about their growth, about their work, about their trajectory, about their work-life balance, whatever that means for them, like all those things. And so that they feel like they can move forward in a way that's meaningful for themselves.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for that. One thing that you shared with the world is that you were able to hire an all black team. Yes, I did. What was that like and how was this something that you sort of told your leadership team that was the goal, maybe kind of take us through that.
1: You know, I will say it was short-lived, not because they don't exist but because I shifted teams right after my like the last person said, yes, I'll join, I shifted teams. So, but they still they're still there. So, it was a couple of things. One is I made a few commitments to myself. One was around like, how to say this lightly. Actually, no, I'm just saying there are so many teams that are all white, or especially in tech, there are folks of all Asian descent. And no one blinks the eye at that. No, one's, like unless you're of the marginalized, like, hey, because I know there have been like all hands where people are like, hey, how do you feel about the fact that these are all white men on, who are on this leadership team and things like that? I said, so, like, you know what? I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna focus, I'm gonna prioritize black folks. And I'm going to do it in a way that works with the system because there's folks who can say, oh, what does that mean? You ignored other candidates. Nope, I surely didn't. I interviewed a whole bunch of different types of candidates. But what I did was I proactively sourced black candidates as well. I worked with our diversity recruiting to source black and brown candidates. I created a goal for myself that of all the open leadership management roles, specifically for product design managers, then, well, I was looking because they, they sort of bucketed them all together. So, like, you know, within a certain group of people, like, I want to hire 25% of those to be black women. And so at the time when I set that goal, we had, I think, 12 or so um, open product design manager roles open. And so we went and looked for as many as we could. We, and we are, were able to land, you know, that 25%, which is great. I worked closely with Joy Roberts, who's an amazing design leader. Here and I worked with her at Zillow as well. When she joined, she was the first Black woman the de- product design manager ever hired in Meta. Now she is—it's still small number. She's one of six, or is no, it's not true? I think she's yeah. I think she's one of six now. And also the fact that I can count all of them on my hands is both scary, but also shows how much work we did working with folks to like bring this forward. But yeah, we just set goals for it, and so a lot of work I've done is like really say. For me, it was, I, do, I was doing this with individual contributors for a while, but I was like, you know, I actually want to focus on leadership because it actually is, I think for me, it's easier for us to find more managers and get them in place and then they have a stronger network and then they can pull other folks in as well. And so for me, it was like, how can I do this from a top-down perspective as opposed to always doing bottoms up? Because I one of the scary things about bottoms up is, even though I, if I help a black or brown person join the company... I don't have control of where they go. And so if they have a terrible experience, that's on me, right? Like that's something I messed up. And so I want to make sure that I also have control, quote unquote, on the experience to say, I got to make sure you have the best possibility of really being able to stand up and stand out. And then from there, I can help other folks come in and you, have, you create these more safe structures.
0: Awesome. Thank you for taking us through that. I love the thought behind that, right? Because it's also making sure that folks are being retained and can have success, and I'd love the piece around specifically around kind of you know top down it is that network effect, right so you're almost increasing the reach long term, but there's still a lot of work to do if you can only you so know, much work. count on two hands and you're at one of the biggest organizations in tech, so you know let's make sure that we keep that in context as well. So look, we're going to kind of start to close out the episode. What are some things that you do outside of work that plays a big influence in your life?
1: I mean, honestly, I tell people, I'm one of those people where my job is Mojave. I don't like the whole thought of, I don't like the thought of like going and doing a thing just to make money to do the thing I really want to do. Like no, work, like so like design the work I do around Black Latinx communities, like all this stuff permeates through everything I do. And so like I said, like founding companies, mentorship, the work I do internally, speaking, like all that is centered around those same topics. And that's what energizes me. That's what I enjoy. And so if I'm not doing any of those things, I am lazy. I'm sitting on my couch. I'm watching TV or playing video games. I just got a puppy. So I'm like dealing with him plus my other dog and like making sure they don't kill them each other. And that's like, that's my life. So either I'm like very public, organic introvert comes in and I'm just like, in my own little hovel, and don't
0: mess with me. Yeah, the true the true embodiment of your mission, right? I'm gonna read it here. I have it written down. The provision of access is the first step in diversifying the homogenous system that is designed, leading to equitable outcomes. And so that's sort of a lot of like what you kind of discussed and talked about. I know we didn't get into the nonprofit, but I know folks can can check that out on your website. And then I think one more question. So you you've talked about being an introvert, but if anybody who's listening follows, you know, Timothy on LinkedIn or Twitter, you're very <laughs> outspoken. Like, I, 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 wish I, I wish I had half the wit to be able to, to no, a, a tenth of it, at least. What kind of advice would you give to somebody that's looking to, to find their voice? Again, like, it goes
1: back to if it's scares the shit out of you, it's probably the right thing to do. And everybody's voice is different. Like, if I think about between me and internet, right? Internet is very much more being recorded. She, like, she'll create a video, has amazing talks, things like that. Whereas more and more, like, I'm naturally a writer. Like, that's where, like, even before design, I wanted to be a writer. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing now is, like, leaning more into that skill because I, I find more... Joy in it. And so LinkedIn and, and Twitter and stuff, like I'm just writing, like I'm, I'm writing my thoughts out and it gives me space and time to do it. Any articles I've written, it's the same thing. So like I've actually gotten to the point now, even when I do talks, I know I no longer do presentations for talks. I'll write it and then I'll sort of like read it from memory or I just like, I'll just kind of wink it just because that's just where I'm most comfortable is if I've written it, then it's locked into my brain, then I can express it. So like the advice is like, Figure out what works for you. So it might be that, you know, writing is the way to sort of share your voice or speaking out or recorded videos or podcasts or songs or whatever the case may be like art. So I think that a lot of times people look at folks like me and say, oh, finding my voice means I have to be in front of people talking or doing like things like this, you know, podcasts and such, as opposed to your voice is whatever you choose it to be. And then it's up to you to figure out a way to articulate it and feel comfortable about it. And also, a lot of people they stop themselves. They're like, "Oh, well, what if people don't like it?" Or you know, "What if people say certain things?" So what? The worst thing a person can say is, "I hate this," right? And if that's the worst thing they can say is, "I hate this," or "I don't like her," or "This is not cool," whatever. Like it's like, no. The worst thing usually people can say is no. So then, what's the harm? And so I think a lot of people they they become their own roadblocks as opposed to saying, you know what. I'm just going to make a decision to do this one thing. And then I'm just like going to make a decision to do the next one. And the next one is just a series of decisions I'm making to just do it.
0: Yeah. So on the writing, the tweets, the presentations, how might people find out more about you? How might they be able to connect with you?
1: I mean, it's funny, but it's also true. I am very easily Googleable. Like just from my last name alone, it's so easy to Google me. So, like, I'm it's easy to connect with me. He's, by, fa- he's like, famous no, in
0: the world and on Google. I
1: hate you. <laughs> no, it's just because you know, like, I like my Instagram, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, you know, my website, directly through email. All of those things are super easy to find. Like, my email is my first name Timothy at my last name bartlevins.com. Twitter and Instagram are both, I think, underscore I design. They've been that for, since I was in high school or something. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been. But yeah, I think, I mean, those are the easiest ways and I'm around, I'm here. I'm not a terrible person.
0: Usually. He just said, Google him basically all. And I put him through all of that torture only to tell you all, tell all the listeners that all of his links will be available (laughs) in the show notes. Oh man. Are there any big sort of like events kind of coming up that you're thinking about doing this year that we should look out for?
1: Honestly, I, not that I can think of. It is mainly because I haven't even been looking. I've gotten to, okay. This is not even worse, but we've gotten to a point now. Like if people reach out to me, then you know, sure. Um, but I, I haven't really been proactively looking for the past couple of years. Don't look. It's just, it's, yeah. Don't He's not
0: looking, me. but he was at Adobe Max. He was doing talks at Berkeley. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're so modest. You. You're so, you're so modest, but hey. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a really fun conversation. I know we went over a lot. I wasn't even able to get into the sneakers and all of that. Oh, man. And so uh, much more know. there. I know. There's, there's so much, but, you know, so little time. Well, I mean, even I heard more, that, that um, I just
1: saw LinkedIn that Maurice Terry uh, had been on your show twice. So, I mean, I feel like a, a follow up is <laughs> like, I feel like I sh- I mean, Maurice is like really famous, but I just want to be like a, a quarter of what he is. So, like, you know. If I could come on like even for a half of an episode, that'd be great because he got double.
0: <laughs> Yo, Maurice is the man. Shout out to Maurice. Just had an episode on his podcast. I've been on his podcast twice. So I just had an
1: know. He, he actually has a rule about doubling up on people. And also, I want to talk to people like, hey, so you've now had <laughs> a couple of people on there twice. When are you coming back down the list? Because I ain't talked to you since 2017. See, I feel <laughs> so offended.
0: Yo, I was like six. It's been six. No, it's been seven years, Maurice. I was like, damn, he's been doing this thing. He's like about to be on episode 500, I feel. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Both of us are a fraction of of what he is because I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get to that many episodes. But yeah, I'll definitely keep it in mind. But thanks so much. And that's it for the show. Cool. Thanks.